Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast. We had in-person church this week, so that means I get the privilege of recording a podcast-only version of the Sunday Sermon, which I'm actually quite enjoying. I enjoy doing this. I hope wherever you are, I kind of imagine people like mowing their lawn or like driving to work, driving home from work, uh, you know, going for a walk with their AirPods in, whatever. Wherever you are, whenever you are, welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you are new or just checking out Everyone Church, please head to our website. We have all sorts of upcoming gatherings, events, connect groups. Uh, we're gearing up for Christmas. Uh, also, we're gearing up for weekly services next year. Uh, more on that later. But for now, let's get to the Word. A few weeks ago, we started a new series called Untangled. And in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read a parable that Jesus taught called the parable of the sower. For those who don't know it, uh, it's a metaphoric story Jesus tells about a farmer who goes out and starts sowing seeds. He starts throwing seed around, and the seed lands on four different types of soil. Uh, some lands on a footpath where it's just trampled and eaten by birds, so it doesn't grow. Some lands in a rocky soil where the soil's hard, so it can't get deep roots, and then it gets scorched by the sun and dies. Some land amongst weeds and thorns, where the, the weeds and thorns strangle the plant and it doesn't grow. And then some land in a good patch of ground on good soil where it grows and produces a crop and multiplies. And of course, the disciples asked Jesus, what does this mean? And if you've never heard this story before, you're probably thinking, what does this mean? Well, we learned that the seed is God's word in the gospel, and the soil is the hearts of people. That's you and I. And Jesus goes on to explain in Matthew 13, verse 19 and 23, he says this, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. That's the footpath. Then in verse 20, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And then verse 22 is our focus verse for this untangled series. It says this, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly. The message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. And then finally, on verse 23, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and understand God's word, and it produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. And so we learn that the seed is God's word and the gospel, and the soil is the hearts of people, your heart and my heart. Imagine if you had this little patch of ground in your heart. And the goal is fruitfulness. That's that fourth seed, the fourth type of soil. And I think it's important to note that because the world would have all sorts of different definitions of success, and we all have versions of success in our mind, in our heart, but God has his version of success, and it's called fruitfulness. Christ-likeness, spiritual maturity, and reproducing yourself, meaning that the seed, the gospel, the God's word that was sown into you would be moved on to others, would be sown into others, that you would multiply, that you would be a disciple who makes disciples. And of those four different types of soil, only one produces fruit. And our focus in this series has been around the thought that many believers today, and even myself sometimes, are like that third seed, tangled by the worries of life, Jesus says, trapped by the temptation of wealth, 
crowded by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, settling for small and futile instead of growing tall and fertile. And what Jesus says about that third seed is that they never grow into maturity and that they never produce fruit. No fruit is produced. Now, I want to be a fruitful Christian. I want to produce, I want to grow into maturity. I want to live untangled. I want to live weed and thorn free, don't you? And we began by laying the foundation that fruitfulness starts with the soil, the state of the soil in my heart, in my life. And we started by talking about seeds of chaos and how we must adopt the wisdom of godly order in our lives, in our soil, in the soil of our heart, in our life. And we can't begin to live untangled when our lives are filled with chaos lacking godly order and priority. And then we moved on to the weeds of worry, which is what Jesus, uh, one of the things Jesus specifically mentions. So we went from seeds of chaos to weeds of worry, and, and we learned that we must release our worries to God and replace them with prayer. So if you missed any of those, listen to the previous podcast episodes. Uh, it'll be well worth your while. And remember, seeds don't grow from the outside in. They grow from the inside out, and they take to the soil they are planted in. So we've been embarking on a bit of a weed and feed this springtime. It's a bit like me battling the clovers in my front lawn. And even this week, my family and I, we were up at Port Macquarie for, our, for a short break and also our state pastors conference for the Australian Christian churches. And we came home and it's like the weeds are back in seven days. Like what is going on? It's like a jungle out there. And it's like chemical warfare between me and the clovers in my lawn. And this is the thing. It's the same as as the things of God in our life where a lack of maintenance and boundary and godly order and godly priority, it can lead to the things of God being choked out of my life. The priorities of God being pressed and squeezed out of my thought life, my day to day. We all know people who were once on fire for God, Christians, loving the Lord. And now it's like life has taken over and they live tangled. I want to live untangled, don't you? So for today, I want to talk about the next thing that Jesus specifically mentions in these scriptures and every one of them, uh, every account in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that is wealth, the thorns of treasure. Dun, dun, dun. Now, we just read in, in Matthew 13, 22, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, Jesus says, so no fruit is produced. Or in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, it says, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And also in Luke 8, 14, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. So all these accounts mention wealth. Jesus specifically mentions money, possessions, and Jesus identifies these as a weed or a thorn. The thorn of treasure. Now, just a heads up, okay, before you switch it all off. We're going to talk about money today, all right? And if you're new or visiting, please know we don't always talk about money, but I hope that this will help you understand why we do from time to time, because a big accusation against churches is, oh, they just want your money. Well, guess what? So does McDonald's, Kmart, Big W, and everybody else. I mean, the world has a lot to say about your money, and so does the Bible, and so does God. So uh, there's, there are very few things in your life, if anything, that you give more effort, time, and focus to than the acquisition and use of money and possessions. I mean, we all love 
a new TV. We indulge in a new car, in a holiday. So it's no wonder that Jesus mentions specifically money, wealth, possessions as a weed or a thorn. And the Bible has a lot to say about every type of hot topic like this, you know, whether it's sex before marriage or gender roles or end times or leadership or you name it, the Bible will talk about it. But we don't want to just shy away from these topics, no, because mature Christians, fruitful Christians, seek to live according to Scripture. And, and let me just lay out why I'm, I'm, I want to talk about this today. Number one is that Jesus, he, he mentions it right there. It's right there in the text. You know, we're talking about untangled, the parable of the... He mentions, you know, the lure of wealth specifically. So we don't want to shy away from what is in the text. Also, money matters big time, as I just mentioned. Just like your time, your kids, marriage, prayer, the Bible, all these things. They're very, very important. And also, we're a new church, right? So uh, Maria and I, we, we talk to many people in our church, pretty much everybody, and, and we just feel like it's a good time for us to lay out what we believe about money, possessions, and giving. Uh, and this is not a money grab. I'm not about to launch a, a, a building fund or something, no. Because our goal is that we would live to please God and that we would equip our church to live to please God. You know, I, I've personally found it somewhat difficult to talk about uh, money in church planting. It's probably been one of the weirdest things for me, uh, church planting. I have no issues talking about it when it comes to missions, like building homes for widows and wells in Cambodia and heart surgeries in Vietnam. Like, I have no issues with that. But, you know, for, for me, I think the safe option, the safest option is for all of us just to come back to what Scripture says and come into agreement with what Scripture says. Like, why would Jesus call money a thorn, a weed? And it's an interesting descriptor that Jesus uses. He calls it the, the lure of wealth. Other translations say the deceitfulness of riches. And the Greek word used there for riches is this word called plutos, plutos, and it means to have plenty. It's interesting to note that because it really puts us in the Western world in the firing line, uh, because where we, all of us, comparatively speaking, even if you're on Centrelink payments, you are living in one of the highest, wealthiest percentages in the world. Uh, so when Jesus is saying, hey, there is a lure, a deceitfulness to having plenty of wealth, Plutus, it puts us, that, he's talking about us, right? And Jesus did not shy away from talking about money. It wasn't his most talked about topic, but it was something he specifically mentions multiple times in the Gospels. And it's just so clear that many of us, for many of us, wealth, money, it's a huge issue in our lives. So it can choke the things of God out of our lives, out of our focus. It takes so much of our energy, the, 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 the thorns of treasure. And how do we stop ourselves from being tangled in tre treasure, being enslaved to money? How do we stop ourselves from allowing money to become an idol, from being offended because of money? I think that's just as big of a thing as money itself is, is people who carry around offenses because of money, not allowing God and his word or godly people to talk to us about money, like it's off limits. Now, I'm not going down the track of gaining more money or becoming, you know, prosper. I'm not, I'm not, that's not what we're talking about today. In fact, there's so much taught these days that is just offside and unbiblical and out of balance, but I can't cover everything. But what I do want to focus on is is our topic matter, our series, and that is how to stay untangled from money and possessions. How do 
not allow the thorn of treasure to choke out the things of God in our life. Because that's the, the point that Jesus is making. Money is a weed and the thorn that can tangle us up and stop us from maturing and producing fruit in our lives. So how do we stop this thorn from thorning us? How do we ensure that we're not tangled in treasure? And if you, like me, want to live untangled, and if you want to live fruitful, and if you want to please God with your life, here's the thing. You're going to look at scripture, and you're going to form a theology around money and possessions based upon scripture. And what you're going to do is you're going to form a theology, you're going to form a belief system about these this money and possessions around scripture. You're, what you're not going to do is form a theology and a belief system around your offense or other people's actions with money or uh, my your current financial state even or or YouTube videos or or even the need. No, no, we live according to scripture, not according to feelings and experiences. Uh, and any Christian with any form of maturity knows this. And this is why money is such a weed, because we want it. <laughs> and we work so hard, we give so much of our lives to get it, and it beca- it can become a God in our lives. And we, we tie our peace, our security to it. We have insurances, we have in this, we have all that. And, and, and when we, and also when we start talking about money, that's like kind of like where many of our pain threshold is. It's like when you start talking about money with people in the Western world, it's like, oh, don't talk about money with me. And, and it's at the heart of worldly thinking, really. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, listen to what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Now, the the word for money there that Jesus uses is this word mammon, the Greek word mammon or mammonos, okay? I'm getting a little bit theological today, but it is important to understand what Jesus is saying. That word it's, it's an interesting one, mammon, because it's kind of like the personification of wealth. It's ultimately like mammon describes the idol of materialism. And some scholars cite mammon as the name uh, of a Syrian or Chaldean god that, that is similar to the Greek god of wealth, the, the Greek god Plutos. So, and in Revelation 18, there is a description of a city, uh, the city of Babylon, a bad city. And that city has been handed over to what the Bible calls the spirit of mammon, the spirit of materialism. So basically, Jesus is saying wealth, money, thirst for riches, thirst for plenty is a false god. So this is serious stuff. This is like life or death in many ways. And if you chase money, chase plenty and worship money, you reject God. So overall, the biblical position on treasure and plenty is not unlike the position on on sex or anything else that we indulge in and we take pleasure in. And that is, we must keep those things under godly order and under God's rule and ways. It's interesting, you know, with money, I could build a home for a widow in Burundi, or I could pay for a heart surgery for a child in Vietnam, or I could shout someone lunch. Or I could purchase pornography and gamble it and ruin my life with indulgences and idolatry. So (laughs) what do we do to deal with money? How do we stop it from choking us up? How do we stop ourselves from being tangled in treasure? 
let me tell you how. I believe it starts with keeping it in check. We control it. It doesn't control us. We manage it. We budget. We keep it in boundaries. And most importantly, we keep God above it and over it. So how do we do that? I believe one of the timeless tools God has given us to keep money in check is to give it to God, and in particular, to tithe and to give to the poor. I believe tithing and giving and generosity is a tool that God gives us to keep money in check, to lay down the idol of mammon, that idol of materialism at the feet of God. Now, I know when I say the word tithe, there's all sorts of reactions to this word in the Christian world. You know, That's law. We're not under law. We're under grace. Uh, Jesus came to deliver us from the law. Look, I, I'm all for that. But before we start allowing emotions and opinions to take over the conversation, what does Scripture actually say? So very quickly, I want to just give a, a brief biblical overview on tithing, a sketch, uh, as you will. You know, tithing is the practice of giving 10% of your increase to God. And the purpose of the tithe, biblically speaking, is to primarily fund the worship center. In the Old Testament, that's the temple. In the New Testament, that's the ministry of local churches uh, and, and the spreading of the gospel, and also to provide needs in the godly community, whether that's widows, orphans, you know, all these types of things. Now, the common question is, uh, that I've received a couple times in our church planning journey is, can I tithe to a charity? Um, well, you can, but that's not a tithe. Like from a biblical point of view, a tithe is for the purpose of uh, the worship center. It's like the economic system that God has set up to fund the worship center. And also it's pre-law. So in Genesis 14, uh, now if you're if you're not a Christian today or you're just checking this out this might go over your head a bit but for those who are Christians and many of our ch- uh, people in our church are, have been Christians for a while let's just look at this right with fresh eyes in Genesis 14 verse 6 to 7 Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek in Hebrews Melchizedek is referred to as a Christ-like figure a type of Christ in um Hebrews 7 um and I think that's important to note you know that kind of joining the dots there, that here is Abraham, the father of the faith, okay, the father of faith, Father Abraham, tithing to a Christ-like figure, all right? Now, if it wasn't talking about money so much, many of us, particularly Pentecostals, would be like, that's enough. <laughs> but look at this. It's, look, at, look at it. It's, it's a foreshadowing of the future. Uh, but, you know, we tend to try and justify our way out of these principles because we're talking about money, right? Or in, or Jacob in Genesis 28, even pre-law again, he encounters God at Bethel and vows to give him a tenth of everything God provides him. And not just his agriculture, everything, okay? And this is his response to encountering God. In fact, Jacob says, surely this is like the house of God where I've encountered him, which is interesting because it's the very words Paul uses to describe the church in the New Testament. I mean, let's join the dots here, okay? Here is Jacob encountering God, saying this is the house of God, and then he's tithing, giving a tenth. And also, we know it's in the law. Uh, Some Christians say, oh, this is just about agriculture. It's about the agricultural community. Well, fun fact about the the tithe uh, in the law is uh, someone could come and give a tenth of their crop, but if they needed it, uh, they could buy it back with, with money. 
but they would have to buy it back at a 20% increase. So people <laughs> tithed in the in the law but it, with money, but it was uh, 30%, which I think is kind of funny. But uh, Mo- Moses also taught, and here's a big principle here, Moses taught the tithe as a privilege and an invitation to worship God. And also Jesus upheld tithing in Matthew 23, Jesus is mad at a Pharisee, at all the Pharisees really, that who tithed on the little, like they they divided up their spices and herbs and 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 were were meticulous with their tithing, like to the to the little bit of herb, right? And Jesus says this in Matthew 23, 23. Listen to what he says. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And then he says this, you should tithe. Yes. He didn't Notice he doesn't say, don't tithe. No, he says you should tithe, but also don't neglect the more important things. So look what Jesus is saying. Hey, there is stuff here, justice, mercy, caring for the poor. You know, I think it's important there, the balance that, the tithing isn't a um, a right for the local church to just hoard up money and become like this huge empire of money. No, there are more important things too, like seeking justice and mercy. But we should tithe. I think it's important that Jesus actually upheld that. And in Philippians, Paul refers to the financial gifts of the Philippian church as a sacrifice. Okay, now we're getting more to like the New Testament heart of things. And that is your, he says this in Philippians 4.18, they are referring to like your giving, the, the Philippian church's financial gifts, that they are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the word sacrifice there is this word, thysia. It's, it's a Greek word that is actually used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, which is used to describe the sacrifices made unto God. Um, and I think it's just interesting that financial giving is called athesia, a sacrifice unto God. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 16, listen to this one. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, verse 16. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need, these are a, these are the sacrifices, thysia. These are the sacrifices that please God. Okay? So giving of money in the New Testament is called a thysia, a sacrifice to worship God. Okay? And we could go on and on. I believe that the biblical model uh, is the tithe is for the house, and then also giving to the poor comes after that. That's what, that's what I believe. And I'm so thankful, you know, the, the church uh, that we came from, Imaginations Church, they didn't just take our tithes and like take a portion of that and give that to missions. No, they gave us the opportunity to give to the poor ourselves. It wasn't just like, oh, we give our tithe and, and the church does it all for us. No, we also had the opportunity to give to missions projects which I think is really, really important. I think the overwhelming biblical position on money is this. Listen to this. This is really important, okay? The, uh, The biblical position on money is this. You can worship God with it. You can help others with it. You can make use of it. And if we aren't careful, it can become a God in our lives or the God of our lives. So in many ways... Money is a tool. Possessions are a tool. 
Okay, And most importantly, we should know, as Christians, we are no longer under the law, but we are now under love. Love. And we heard Pastor Dan preach about this last week, uh, preaching about a God type of love. And the sacrifices in the New Testament church, the Spirit-filled, godly priesthood, living temple of God, New Testament church, those sacrifices exceed the sacrifices of the Old Testament church. Because in Christ, the question is no longer, what does the law require of me? No. Now it is, what does love require of me? Hear that. What does love require of you today? It is no longer like, hey, like the Old Testament where they said, oh, my forefather Jacob encountered God at Bethel and he gave a tenth offering to God and he vowed to tithe. No, no. It's this. I have encountered God personally. This is the miracle of of living under love and grace, that we get to personally encounter God. So what is our response to that? Okay, you know, whenever Jesus was confronted with a question about the law, he doesn't dismiss it. He actually upholds it and and adds to it. You think about when he's asked about adultery, he he turns it into, hey, if you even look at a person who's 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 not your husband or wife and you and you lust after them and you commit adultery in your heart man that is that is huge right or with murder he says hey if you hate someone in your heart that's murder the religious people of the time were thinking oh as long as if i don't do this and don't do that then surely i'm not murdering no no he's saying in your heart you can murder or forgiveness how many times should we forgive jesus he says 70 times seven which is a an ancient you know jewish way of saying Infinite times, right? Or, or giving, you know, there's a tithing. This Jesus saying, hey, listen, give all that you are. Okay, religious people are always looking for ways. This is human nature, looking for a back door, an easy way out. Now, what am I saying? That we should give everything, sell our houses and, and give? No, I'm not saying that. Look, let's let God work out all that stuff in us. Maybe you have a grace of giving on your life. I don't know. I don't want to limit you. But what I am saying is if you are an anti-tither, if you're like, hey, tithing, we don't have to do anything. Well, then that must be because you believe the New Testament pattern says that tithing is a low bar, right? <laughs> you know, you must be sitting there. You know, If you're an anti-tither, you can't say like, I'm, I'm against tithing and justify that to give nothing. No. That's not the, the New Testament model. The New Testament model is even more radical. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not enforcing that. I'm not saying we should, but I'll, I'll tell you, for Maria and I personally, we left 10% many years ago. We, we aren't just talking about giving and not leading by example. No, we give, we give our tithe and we give to missions. We give sacrificially to missions. We give to missions in faith. Uh, and so we aren't just here preaching offerings and not living it. no. We've given our lives for what Christ would want to do in the earth. Now, let me tell you, we live, because I believe it's because we have these principles of giving in our lives that we live untangled from the thorns of treasure. We aren't caught up with materialism. Uh, don't let the thorns of treasure choke out the things of God from your life. You know, use what God, and also in giving, in tithing, and giving the missions, it's helped us set in principles of of budgeting well. It helps keeps us disciplined. It helps us keep godly order in our finances. Use what God has given you for good. That's my encouragement today. What 
does love require of you? You know, whenever we talk about like um, hard facts, biblical truths, um, it can sometimes not take into consideration like people's particular situations. Like I know we have people in our church who have unsafe husbands or people in our church who are single moms or people in our church who uh, might, you might be living in a way that is financially, you might feel like you're tangled in treasure today. You might feel like, man, the thought of tithing would really put us in financial trouble. Well, here's my thought for you today, okay? What does love require of you? You know, my, my encouragement to you today would not to, like, don't look at your finances and, and your situation and go, oh, I'm just going to do nothing. Do something. Take a step of faith. Man, give something to missions. Give something. Do shouts. Don't allow your situation to tangle you and squeeze you out of living a generous life. I mean, what does love require of you today? And I, and I would say the same of any area of struggling. You know, you're struggling to read the Bible. Well, do something. You might not feel like you could read the Bible in a year. Well, do something. Read something. Allow it to become a habit in faith. Start sowing seed in faith. And I would say this the same with when it comes to treasure and wealth in your life. Take a step of faith. I'm not saying to be reckless and ridiculous. No, I'm just saying, hey, give up a coffee and say, Lord, I am going to get I'm going to make sure I put in godly principles in my life. Okay, I've seen people before they 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 say, oh, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. Yet they're you know, buying video games and V-Bucks and, you know, and, and it's like, it's, it's a contradiction, right? And I, all I'm saying is, hey, listen, like any area of our life, we're on a journey. None of us are perfect, but hey, allow God to speak to you. What does love require of you today? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you because uh, I know this can be a, a topic. And listen, if you have listened to this podcast and you're just like, oh man, this is crazy. Hey, let's get a coffee. If, if you want to catch up with Maria or myself, we would love to talk this through because we want to be in unity and we want to know that we're not living under pressure or uh, anything like that. We want to live in, a, in a, a loving community, but we also want to live in a way that pleases God and out of biblical principles. So let me pray for you, Lord. I thank you for the people of everyone church. I know Many people are on different journeys. I thank you that you're bringing this church together to be a force for good in our in our community, and not just a force for good, but a force that pleases you, a place that pleases you, a community that pleases you. And Lord, today we lay down our treasure. We lay down that spirit of mammon. We lay down that materialistic uh, uh, focus, Lord, and we lay it at your feet. And Lord, I ask that you would help us take steps to use our possessions, use our houses, use our our wealth, use our cars, use every area of our lives to be a conduit to worship you. Lord, I pray that our houses wouldn't just become safe havens for us to just hide, but they would become open places for us to use to worship you. I pray for our finances, Lord, that people who, particularly people who feel tangled and struggling with their finances, Lord, that they would, that you would show them the next step for them, the step of faith of living untangled. And Lord, in our heart of hearts, we want to please you with every area of our lives, including our wealth and our treasure. And we don't want to, to, to strangle us and to stop us from maturing and producing fruit. So God, we submit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the word this week. I hope you have an amazing... Hey, we're going to be in person in a couple of weeks. 
and also online next week. So hope you can join us and get to connect group and let's catch up and do life together. Amen. Have a blessed week. Thank you.